Anybody excited to be here tonight? Mosaic on campus. It's the first one of the semester. I'm super excited that you're here. For those of you who are new to me and I'm new to you, my name is Blake. I'm the college pastor at a church in town called Mosaic. Uh, and this is Mosaic on campus. We just really want uh, this place to be where you can just come as you are. Um, we just believe that we have the best news on the planet. Hallelujah. And because of that, we can meet together and we can hear about the God who changes everything. Yes, Lord. Not only that, but we also believe because we have the best news on the planet, we can have a good time doing it. And so with that, I hope that this is, if you're your first church experience in a while, I hope that you're ready because it's not stale. It's just not going to be a stale environment, and that's a good thing. Um, this is a place we can laugh. It's a place where you can interact with me. Obviously, I don't mind talking back to me, so I'm one of those people. I like to call myself a hollow back preacher, so if you really hear something you like, you can say, oh, that's good. Say that. Okay, white boy, I see you preaching. Let us go and say Got it. Okay? So with that, I'm super excited just to be here. Are you guys excited? The three people in the back are excited. Come on now. I'm excited because one, a couple things. First, this is our first one. First one, best one. Amen. Good stuff going on. Also, we're in this new series. I know know for the past, we've kind of jumped through series, and sometimes we didn't have one, but this one I really feel strongly about. Uh, If you haven't noticed or you haven't seen the little handout, the name of the series is Are You Happy? And that's not a trick. That's not something that is like to, you know, get at you and be like, am I I actually happy? Like, you know, if you're a happy person, that's super awesome, super fun. I just believe for a lot of us, that's the space that we're asking the real question is, am I happy? Am I content in my life? Am I finding the life that this book talks about I'm supposed to have? Do I actually have it? Or is it merely just a circumstantial reality where things are good, I'm having a good time, but when things are bad, it's rough? You know what I mean? Amen. For me, I'm, I'm one of those people that I don't like using Christian words. And one of those is joy. You know what I mean? It's just another word for happy. People sing that I got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart, but they don't let their face know it. Do you know what I'm saying? So I'm one of those people, I'm looking for a happiness that is not based on good circumstances, but one that's anchored in something deeper than just good things happening to me. Where on the bad days I can smile, on days where I feel like, man, God, I really could use a hand, I can smile because I believe that there's something deeper than just good feelings, positivity, and good-looking wife, you know what I mean? So, hey, for the, for the guys in the room, I'm just here to tell you, God is so faithful. Love Jesus, and he's going to take care of you, I promise you. Come on, can I get an amen from the back? Amen! And tonight, we're going to be working out of the Old Testament. Some of you are like, I have not even opened up the Old Testament. That's scary to me. I already have anxiety because of it. But here, let's take a breath. I'm going to take care of you. We're going to be working out of the book of Nehemiah tonight. Nehemiah. You're like, where is Nehemiah? There's no shame in looking in the table of contents. There's no shame going to the front and seeing, I don't even know where that's at. If you've hit Psalms, you've went too far. It's right after First and Second Chronicles and then right after Ezra, if that's helpful at all. But we're going to have it back on the screen behind me. We're going to be working out of Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Anybody got a Bible? In the room? Anybody? A couple physical Bibles? A couple people charge their Bible tonight? Good. Gotta keep it charged up. You know what I mean? Well, if you do, if you've got it, jump with me to Nehemiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1. If you're there, say, I'm there. If you need a little time, I'm not going to give you a lot of time, but you can say, hold up. I'm not even going to hold up. Okay. 
Y'all better hurry. It's on the screen behind me. I'm just going to read it, okay? If you're not there, you're not there. Here we go. Let's get into it. Nehemiah 6, starting verse 1. Now when Simbalat and jo uh, Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall, that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates. Let me just pause right there real quick because I know some of you have no idea what's going on in the Bible at all. You're like, Nehemiah, who is this guy? What wall are we talking about? What's even going on? And just to give you the Bible real quick, don't mind if I teach a little bit before I preach a little bit. Okay? So I'm going to just give you the whole New Old Testament in two minutes. Time me. You got me? Okay, so God creates this world, right? It's good. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. Seven times good, right? Perfect good. He creates man, male and female. And then there's this other character in the story that tempts them and they fall, right? Deceives them and they say, you know what? God's withholding from us. There's something better over here. And we've bought the lie of that serpent, that creature that what we know as the devil, who's real. Satan. Satan, yes, the tempter, yeah. So him bought the lie and then we've fallen, right? We left God's presence. We weren't in relationship anymore and we needed a savior, which Genesis 3 talks about being Jesus. Thank you. I appreciate you. Um, with that, they fall and they go one after the other, worse and worse and worse. And then God gets so kind of fed up with the state of the world and how bad it's gotten. He raises up a man named Noah, floods the earth. And then right after that, starts over with his family and almost the next page, Genesis 11, they're together in unity against God. And what happens? He spreads them off across the earth. Then he picks a man by the name of Abraham. So if y'all have ever been in church, y'all heard Father Abraham. He had many sons, and many sons have Father Abraham, and I am one of them. So are you? Anybody? So let's all praise the Lord. Okay. Yeah, some people grew up in church, yeah. And so with that, Abraham had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons that comprised the 12 tribes of Israel, this one family into this big nation. And at the end of Genesis, there's this man named Joseph who's got this coat of many colors. I don't know if you heard about it, but he gets... Sold by his brothers, taken into slavery, in prison, gets raised up to be second under Pharaoh, and he saves them through this famine, this drought, right? That family comes underneath Pharaoh in Egypt, and for 400 years they're slaves. 400 years later, God hears their cry. He raises up a man named Moses. Moses takes them out of Egypt, out of slavery, and into right next to the promised land, through the Red Sea, up to the edge of it. That generation's like, no, we don't want to go in, so Joshua takes them in. Some time goes by, and those people who were once for God now turn away from them, and God keeps sending deliverer after deliverer to redeem them and to save them. And eventually, there comes a man on the scene by the name of Samuel. He's a prophet. And he has these two books, First and Second Samuel, just where you're at. There's a man named Saul who gets anointed to be king over Israel, that 12 tribes, it's a nation called Israel. And after Saul, he's not really a good king, he's insecure, and because of that, he doesn't follow God. He follows his man, he's afraid of him, doesn't do what God says. He's like, man, these people, they're going to leave me if I don't, I'm not riding with them. So with that, God raises up David. Y'all know David and Goliath, yeah. all of that. David's a good king for the most part, has a couple of problems, as you might know. He has a son named Solomon. And Solomon, crazy enough, I thought my wife was awesome. He had a thousand wives, which I have no reason, like no idea why he would do that. But he did it. And Solomon, he lets those wives turn his heart away from the Lord, and Israel goes back into a consecutive toilet bowl, so to speak, of king after king after king, not following after God. And eventually, God gets so fed up with the evil that's within his own people, he removes his hand of blessing off of them, and the nation called Babylon comes and takes them into captivity. 
And from here, Persia is now taking over. If you know anything about like the 300, Greeks, Persia, all that, that's what's happening in history. And Nehemiah, he is the third wave of people coming back into the land after being taken out of it. Ezra, along with Zerubbabel, rebuild the temple, and Nehemiah is commissioned to rebuild the wall around the city. Cool? That was the Old Testament, and maybe a little bit longer than two minutes, but hey, that's okay. So good. I think it's important that I want to take the time because if you don't know what's going on in this book, it can't help you. If you open it up and you're looking at it, you're like, I don't know who this guy even is. I don't even know where we're at in the story. How are you going to contextually understand what God is doing in the story? You won't. And so that's why I want to take time just to even give you a picture of what's even happening. So Nehemiah, he finishes building the wall, which is a big deal because it sat destroyed for 80 years. And it takes him 51 days to build the wall. But notice what it says in chapter 1. It says, he had finished the wall, he had built the wall, and that there was no breach left in it, though up to that time he had not set up the doors and the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together at Hakimpirim on the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sambalat on the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel, and that is why you are rebuilding the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, that there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such things that you say have been done, for you are inventing them. You're making these things up. You're out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now will God strengthen my hands. Now I'm going to work from the title tonight. Close the door. Close the door. Does your neighbor say, close the door? Shut the front door. Shut the front door. Close the door. And then you touch your other neighbor like you actually mean it, like you know who they are, and say, hey, I need you to close the door. Close the door. Close the door. Now, I don't know if some of you know this. Some of you are new to me, but in April this past year, I got married. You know what I mean? But, uh, you know, uh, I'm learning a lot about marriage right now. I'm learning a lot because not only did I become a husband in April, I also became a girl dad in April. And for those of you who don't know, girl dad is a different version of father. It's a different thing. It's altogether different. Pray for me, please. Um, But I became a girl dad. And I'm learning a lot about marriage. I'm learning a lot about fatherhood in this season and I just need to say this. Like, I love my wife. Like, I love her. I love her. But I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning some things about my wife right now in this season that are difficult. And what I mean by that is that she's great. She's great. Okay, hear me. I, I love my wife. There's no serious issue here, okay? There's just this thing. There's this set of rules that I live my life by. And, and she doesn't live by them. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, like, love her, like, crazy love this woman. 
But you know you love something so much in one minute, and then you're like, why did you do the things that you do in the very next minute? Do you know what I mean? Yes. But I, but I live my life by these set of rules, and they, they're circumstantial, and they change depending on the situation. My wife doesn't live by the same set of rules, and it's a, it's a problem for me because I'm like, how do you not know this? How do you not know how this is supposed to go? And so what happens a lot is I walk in my house, I'm like, what are you doing? What is happening right now? And I, specifically tonight, I mean this. If you've ever grown up in East Texas or you've been around any place where bugs exist, there's a couple rules that exist when you are leaving and opening and closing your door in your house. Yeah, everybody in agreement? So for me, one of these rules off top, if you are letting something outside, whether it's your dogs or you're going outside, you always turn the lights off in the house. If you didn't know this, bugs are attracted to light. Anybody know that? Yes. Yeah. Bugs are attracted to light. And they will come in if the light's not off. And I'm like looking at my wife letting our two dogs out of the house. I'm like, what are you doing? you got to turn the light off. The bugs are going to get in the house. And she's like, it's fine. It's not a big deal. Closes the door. Okay, right? She's also one of these people that she kind of just does it at her own pace. I'm a little quicker. And I'm like, hey, maybe you should close a little bit quicker. Because... The way that you're opening and closing that door is conducive for something to fly in this house that I'm going to have a problem with. You know what I mean? Because I don't know about y'all, but I don't do bugs. I hate, I hate Just don't do bugs. bugs at all. Just can't do them. And my wife, just to jump into the story, one night my wife, she is doing her normal thing, letting the dogs out for the fifth time. They don't need to go out. She just likes to let them go out. Don't know why, but that's just what she does. I love her for it. Um... But she's letting the dogs outside. She doesn't turn the light off. Um, told you these rules that I live by, right? And I hear from the other room, baby, baby. And I'm like, oh, God, what is it? <laughs> and I walk in the room, and I don't see anything. I hear it. I don't know if you've ever heard a scream of a cicada in the middle of the night, but it's absolutely horrifying. It's terrifying. And my wife has somehow let this insect into my house and now I'm expected to go to sleep after it's happened not today not today sir uh, not for me I'm sitting there and I'm looking around the house I'm looking over the refrigerator I'm looking underneath stuff I've got my flip flop off I'm looking to hit it you know I'm looking for it I'm banging on stuff to see where it is it's completely silent not a single sound is made I'm like I know this thing is in this house <laughs> It's an entire night. I don't sleep. I lose sleep because I, this thing is flying around in my house and my wife is just snoozing right next to me, not a care in the world. And I'm like, that thing is flying around the living room right now. I know it is. I know it's in the kitchen just eating something. I don't even know what they eat, but I know it's messing with something. Just looking up at the ceiling like, God, why did you give me this woman? It was a, not that serious. But it made me laugh thinking about that story because I think, for us, a bug flying into our house or things that we don't like being in our house, getting into our house, creates a sense of uneasiness in our hearts. I know it does for me. You know, I think for a lot of us in this room, we are people who have been careless when it comes to opening and closing the doors in our lives. I think at times we've been not careful and we've let things that have never should have been in our house fly around in our house for a little bit too long. And so tonight, what I hope that we get to do through this sermon is that we get to talk about how we can have a sustainable happiness 
in life that we have in our, our world, in our existence, in our day-to-day, that we can have this happiness. How can we have that in a real way? And I think a key to that is we have to close the door to some things. We've let some things into our world that have to go, and they have no business living in the house of our heart. And I think, I think that if we're not careful, we can become people who are careless when it comes to opening and closing those doors. And I believe that if we're going to be the people that God's made us to be to have these lives, that's abundant life that this Bible talks about, if we're going to be those people, we have to be people who watch our doors. Y'all with me? Yes, amen. You bored? No, no. helpful to you? Come on, let's yes, get into sir. it. The first, the first point that I want to jump into tonight, for us to be able to close a door, is pretty much common sense. You need a door. Yeah, pretty simple. And somebody's like, what do you even mean a door? We're talking about metaphors. What's even going on? Well, I want to talk a little bit from this text in Nehemiah about a physical reality that I believe actually paints a picture of our spiritual reality that we face day in and day out. That Nehemiah, when he gets to Jerusalem, he sees a city with no walls and no doors, anyone and everyone just coming in and out, taking the life that exists in that place. And for us, I think if we're ever going to be people who have a sustainable life of happiness, we need to be able to have some boundaries to our life and some things that we say, no, you can't come into this. You can't come into my inner world. We ought to have some things that stop some stuff from entering. So I don't know if you know this or not, but doors, they have a few different purposes. Don't know what they are? Doors simply are means of access, right? Open a door, you go into a room. It's the way you go from outside to inside. It's through a door, right? If not, you just have a wall. You can't go through a wall unless, you know, you're really strong, I guess, but then you have a hole in the wall, so there's not really any point of having no wall, right? So a door is to let you have access into a place that you wouldn't have without it. But not only that, there's another means for it. There's another reason for a door. Is to provide protection. Not only is it to let you in and out, it's supposed to keep things in and keep things out. Does that make sense? Amen. And so with that, for him in this story, Nehemiah is talking about these men who are his enemies coming against him. And he says that the walls are built. The walls are built. But there's no doors. I don't know if you know this or not, but if there's no walls, or no doors, excuse me, the walls are pretty much pointless. You can walk in and out still, just the opening. And so for him, building these doors was essential to creating life in that place. For us, building the right doors, we're going to be able to let us sustain and build life. Amen. For us, my question to you is, if, if your heart is a city, how are you protecting it? What are the things that you're letting in and out? Do you have any means or method to keep things out? Simply put, do you have any boundaries in your life? I think for a lot of us, we lack a lot of boundaries. I think sometimes they're annoying. They're unnecessary. Like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. No big deal. It's just I'll let this thing in and out. But I'm here to tell you that boundaries are actually important for a number of reasons. One, they keep things that are valuable safe. And I think a lot of times we're careless with our boundaries. We're careless with our doors in our life because we don't see the value of what's on the other side of them. So with that being said, and stop getting into metaphor, your thought process, your your mind, the things that you think about need to have a boundary. 
the way that you talk to yourself needs to have a boundary. The things that you believe about yourself and other people needs to have a boundary. Because if not, you'll take any and every thought that comes and it will become truth to you. We need to have some things that are stable and built on the word of God and the person of Jesus in order for us to not be moved around by every different thought that comes to us. We need a door. Not only that, we need to close it. No, like I told you, I'm a girl dad now. And my daughter is eight. And uh, Charlie, in the same way of her mother, she uh, she's just kind of in her own world. She just does her own thing. She also has a problem with doors. And Charlie, one day this summer, she uh, she's going outside and playing in her little swimming pool. It, we literally have a little water, uh, like you have to put a hose into it, a little bitty swimming pool that you use at the dollar store. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody have one of those? Filled up with water, and she's out there with her goggles on and her swimsuit. It's like the coolest thing ever. But she forgot to close the door. And I'm like, Charlie, what's the deal, bro? You gonna close the door? She's like, I was going to get water back and forth. And I was like, what do you mean water back and forth? We don't have a hose. So she was getting cups to fill it up, okay? Back and forth, back and forth. And I laughed because she was so dead set on getting this water out there that she didn't realize what all she was letting out. I don't know if y'all like, you know, are from that place. I'm from that place where your parents would be like, hey, were you raised in the barn if you leave the door open? Or like, hey, you're letting the cold out. You're letting the heat in. You're letting the flies in. You ever heard that before? Yes. So Charlie is letting the cold out in the summertime. And Nacogdoches is a hot place in the summer. And I pay a lot of money to keep it at 73 in my house. Can I get a witness? Hallelujah. It gets expensive. And she doesn't value what I'm valuing in keeping our house cold. If she knew how much money I had spent on that air conditioner, on that light bill. I'm from that place. She would have left the door closed. I think for us, the reason why we don't keep our doors closed in our life is because we don't realize the value on the inside. And I, for me, my, my thing that I say to her all the time is her name, so to speak, other than Charlie, is, little girl, hey, little girl, little girl, come here, come close this door. And I had a moment thinking about this sermon where I felt like I heard God's voice from heaven, a father's voice say, little girl. If you only knew how valuable what was on the inside, you'd close the door. If you knew how much I had paid for you, you'd close the door. I think a lot of times we let things come in and out of our life because we have not seen the value that God's placed on our life. That God's paid a price for you. That he's put something on your life. He's put value on your life. In the moment that you let any and every thought in, when you break boundaries, you're actually saying, I don't value the thing that you put in me. And I believe that the fruitfulness of your life, the thing that God put on your life to do, is dependent on how well you protect that thing. That God has put something in you that only is in you. I don't know if you know this or not, but there's only one you. There's a lot of other people in this world, but there's only one you. Amen. There's one thing that you're called to. God's word says that you've been created for good works in Christ Jesus, that he prepared beforehand for you to walk in. But how can we ever walk in the things that God's prepared for us and made for us if we don't even protect the thing that we need to be able to do the work? If we have a broken heart, how can we ever give someone hope? If we can't lift our head up and smile, how can we ever see someone else in the same place that we are give God a chance? We can. We have to protect the thing that's in us. We've got to close the door. We've got to close the door. The second thing I think is real telling of the story and even in our lives is 
the moment that you start to build a door, the moment that you start to put a boundary that says, hey, that thought can't have any power over me anymore. Hey, that shame that gets thrown into the air of, oh, if only they knew that you did this. As long as you let that affect you, there's no need for the enemy to do anything else. They've already got you. But the moment that you said, hey, that thought doesn't have a place anymore because I'm built on a solid foundation that God has spoken over my life value and worth and I mean something because of the king who died for me. And not only that, that I have a purpose in this world that the world needs to come out of me. If we keep living lives that let these words speak things over us, it says you're never going to be worth it. If only they knew that about you. That anxiety that you feel, the peace that you don't feel, that says, oh, hey, you can never do something like that. That person won't even like you. And all you know is you're missing out on the life that God made for you. Amen. So with that, I think it's funny that it's the moment that he starts building the wall and the moment that he starts to put gates and doors up that the enemy starts coming. So I don't know if you know this or not, but the moment that you say yes to Jesus, the moment that you say, hey, God, you can start to do your work in my heart. And you can, I'm going to let you define boundaries and things that I believe in that are not based on my own uh, positivity or my own self-perception, but it's based on your word. The enemy has to go through some things that are have to face truth. There's a door there now. And so what happens now? If there's a door and it's closed. You got to knock, right? In the story, it says that that these four guys, these enemies, started knocking at the door. And I'm here to tell you, the moment that you give your life to Jesus and you start to build walls around the thing he's given you, you start to put doors up and you close that door, that's when the enemy's going to come knocking. I think some of us, we think, oh, I'm happy right now, but then when it's bad, it's always knocking at you. There's always an opportunity to go one way or the other because the enemy doesn't want you to win doesn't want you to have that life. I think for us, as we think about it, now that we have a door in place, now that we have truth in front of us, we have to be able to recognize who's knocking. Because if you don't know who's knocking, you'll open it to anything, right? I don't know about you guys, but I'm one of those people that when I knock, I have like a certain knock. You know what I mean? Like, you know, some people will just knock at the door. They're like... You know what I mean? Anybody? Yes. I'm not that guy. It's not him. My friends know my knock. It's. They're like, oh, bro, that's Blake knocking at the door, bro. Hey, somebody come get him. Like, you don't know he's. It's funny. It's the more acquainted that you get with the knock, you can recognize who's on the other side of it. I know for some of us in this room that we've got real acquainted with certain knocks. And we know who it's from. And it's not a good person, it's from somebody else. It's that red flag that you see a mile away, but you kind of ignore it. You're ignoring the knock. You know what it is. For us to be effective in having our door, we have to recognize the knock, because if we can know the knock as it's coming, we can realize that not every knock's for us. Here's the other thing. If the door's closed, guess what? Just because someone knocks at it doesn't mean that you got to open to it. Just because the enemy knocks at your door with accusations about yourself doesn't mean that you got to open the door to it. Doesn't mean you have to. Even if it seems true. Because here's the thing about the enemy. He tells you half-truths believing that they're full-truths. 
exactly where to knock and how to knock to persuade you to open the door. In the story, they knocked four times. It says that they came to him four times the same way. I love even the place that they are supposed to meet. Come and let us meet together at this place I can't pronounce in the plane of oh no. What that would have told me in that moment is if they knocking on my door, oh no, I ain't going. I'm not going over there, bro. No. I know that knock. I've seen that knock before. I'm good. I'm good. You know, I think for a lot of us too, it's it's not just that the enemy will come at you straight up. I think a lot of times we're prepared for a straight on attack. And that's like the easiest way that he does it. That's a lazy. That's just a lazy attack. You're like, I already know that's from not from that's not from God. That accusation that something happens to you. It's always when something happens to you too. If I fail a test, I'm never gonna have the future that I want. I'm never going to be the person I want to be. Get broken up with. Something unlovable about me. It's always when there's something bad that happens. There's always that knock. But here's the thing we've got to realize about a knock. It's only an invitation. And invitations are only good if you go and you choose to take them. Not every invitation is something that you've got to take. If we have a solid door and we know, hey, you can't come here. They can knock all day. But you have the power to let them in or not if you recognize the knock. If you recognize the knock. You know, I love, I love this part of the story because it's not even that they come straight on. In chapter 4, they come on and they attack in broad daylight. They're out there. They're building with swords in their hands because they know that the enemy is coming. It's obvious. Then the second time they come and it's like, and hey, let's... Hey, come out here. We're going to talk to you about this. You're going to kill him, right? There's another time that it happens. It's the fifth time. He writes this letter to him. And not only is it just an opportunity of an invitation, it's a, it's a threat. It's a threat that's going to cost you something if you don't say yes to this thing. You know, for some of us, a lot of times the knock is from people that we trust, from our friends. And we think, what all we would lose if we don't answer the knock? The knock to talk about somebody else, gossip. The knock to, hey, why don't you come out with me tonight? Let's go out. When you know that you've already given up something, the moment that you've tried to start building, you know what, I don't need to do that in my life anymore. And you started to say, okay, now I'm not going to do that anymore. But because they ask, okay, I'll go. Well, because you're my friend, I'll go. I think part of the reason why we say yes and we cave is because we don't think that the reinforcements are going to come in time for us to keep standing. That God isn't enough to keep that knock from being constant. Because here's the thing, once you put the wall up, they're going to knock for a while because they're not used to knocking. But once you know that that they're not going to answer, you stop and you go away, right? Anybody ever knock on someone's door and they don't answer? How many times have you knocked? Twice. You get two knocks. This one got four knocks, all right? I'm getting one knock and I'm out. The longer you say no, the longer that you stand your ground and stand firm on the word of God and what he said about you and that you don't let those thoughts happen, they go away. 
They go away from that way. And sometimes they repackage themselves in different ways, but because you notice the knot, you can discern discern what they are. The last time for him, the sixth time that it comes to him, it says that there's a man that he knows that's from Israel, from his own people. It says in verse 10, Now when I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, I want to tell them something. Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? Don't you love how he's like, do you not know who he's talking to? You think I'm going to run? The confidence of that man to say, I'm not a coward. I'm not going to run. I'm not going to hide. What would they say of me if I went and hide? He has, he has shifted from a person that is susceptible to the threats of someone else to being so confident in who he is because of the doors that are closed in his life that he has changed altogether and he is not willing to even hide himself among his own people. He said, I'm going to be right here because my door and my, my barrier is secure. I don't need to fear the attack of the enemy when I know who I am. I think a lot of us, we fear when the enemy attacks, when those accusations come because we don't know who we are. He's so firm in who he is. And I understood that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired. That the enemy hired somebody on the inside to get to him. The sad thing about this, the enemy doesn't fight fair. He doesn't fight fair at all. He'll use the people closest to you to get to you. But if you can recognize the knock, you won't open the door. You won't open the door. My last point. I think having a door is awesome. Just knowing that, hey, this is a boundary that I'm not opening. This is something that I'm not going to let in. This is who I am. This is what I'm going to do because this is who God says that I am. I'm valuable because he's marked my life. His hand's on my life. And I'm not going to let self-accusation and shame and the attacks that wage war on our mind the fear of other people gets me to stop being who I am. It's one thing to do that, to close the door. It's a whole other thing to deal with what's in the house after you close the door. There's a whole other thing finding that cicada flying around than it was just to close the door. You know, there's there's this TV show. I don't know if y'all have ever seen it. It's called Hoarders. Anybody ever seen the movie for the show Hoarders? Yeah, Borders, man. It's a weird show because I'm not like that. Like, I'm a pretty clean freak. Um, but in the show, Borders, they have this guy. He comes in, and he's he's like, hey, you, like, want to live like this? And it's always, like, trash on the floor. You know what I mean? Like, no shame. No shame. I just can't live like that. And they have this opportunity. They're like, hey. They show them their life, and they say, hey, there's another way that you can do this. You don't have to have all this stuff that's in here. But the craziest thing about that show, the absolute craziest thing about the show, is that nine times out of ten, the person doesn't want to change. They don't want to get the stuff that's in there out of there. It's become permanent fixtures in their life, even if it's trash. Isn't that well? I think for us, that we'll always make room for the things that are already in our house. Does that make sense? Yes. If you've got lust in your house, you'll always get more room for it. 
If you have addiction in your house, you always make more room for it. If you've got pride in your house, you always make more room for it. Here's the thing that's also true. The more God you have in your house, same thing applies. Here's the one thing, though. God, unlike those other things, he doesn't like roommates. He doesn't like sharing space. He doesn't deal with the dirty dishes. That's not his thing. God is that guy in that order show that's like, hey, you know you don't have to live like this, right? Hey, if I'm going to come and live in this house, this has to go. That thing you've been hiding in the closet that no one knows about, that thing has to go. That God will spend the rest of your life going through the house of your heart saying, hey, all of this stuff has to go. Here's the one thing that's so hard about it. A lot of us, we have these things that we hold on to so tightly. And a biblical word for that is called stronghold. It's something that you think you have a hold of but actually has a hold of you. Does that make sense? That there are things that are so desperately clung on to your life that if you lost it, you wouldn't know what to do with it. It's crazy, too, because it's not even good things that you want to hold on to. It's things that you become so normalized to that you have to hold on to it to make it make sense. Does that make sense? Go with me? Like that anxiety that you hold, it's like, let me just change my whole personality and blame this on my Enneagram number. Or let me just let me just have this thing that I have and call it clinical anxiety. Not that it doesn't exist. Anxiety is just fear. That's all it is. You know that, right? When I was in college, you know what we called anxiety? Being nervous. Straight up. I feel nervous. I'm nervous to go around people because I don't know if they're gonna like me or not. It's fear. But we name and label these things because it makes it more pretty in our house. That we've taken something that should be a temporary thing that most of the time is just a response to a trauma. And we've put it on the mantle of our house and said, hey, that's who I am. Look, hey, everybody, I have this. And because other people have it too, it's cool. I think generationally, anxiety is the most I've ever seen in y'all's generation, ever. It's not something that anybody my age I know super carries. Like, it's just not a thing. This fear of man, this fear of other people, where we post these beautiful pictures and these funny videos, but we have these really sad lives that we live behind them. And we blame things like anxiety, depression, all these different things. And we've labeled these things that have now, they have power over us because we've named them and we've normalized them. And now it's become the trash that we live around in our life, like the hoarders. Amen. And God so desperately is trying to deal with the broken things in our life, but we have to let him do the work. We have to let him work. For those of you in the room where you feel like you're bound to something or it's bound to you, you can't get it off of you, even though the most you try, you try all the time. I tried this, I tried that. It's still here. A lot of that is a stronghold. It's a place that the devil has a foothold in your life. Most of the time, it's not even your fault. It's something you grew up with. It's a hurt. It's a pain. And it's something that you relive over and over and over again, and it actually keeps you from the life you're supposed to live. The moment that you invite the Holy Spirit into your house, the moment that you invite him into your heart is when everything's going to change, because it has to, because he's not going to take up residence unless all the rest of it has to go. And the beautiful thing about it is God is not one to do it himself. He invites us to do it. He's not going to come in and pick the dishes up and throw them outside. He's going to ask you to. He's not going to look at the thing that you put up on the wall and say, I'm taking that down. He's going to point at it and say, will you give that up for me? Will you put that away? How about let's deal with this thing that you're afraid to because you're still hurt? How about let's do something about this? 
and the Holy Spirit just knocking on our heart. In the same way Satan has a knock, so does the Holy Spirit. The thing about this, if we're going to live these lives that have this life attached to it, we got to be people who not only close the door and have a door, not only do we need to recognize a knock, but we have to invite God in to clean up the house. We got to invite him to clean up the house, even if it's messy. God's really good at cleaning up messes. Really good at it. As the band's coming back up, I just want to kind of lead us in a moment. I know tonight was a little lower. I just really feel like a lot of you in the room, you're carrying stuff that you let in a long time ago. You don't really know what to do about it. It's hard because everyone around you is going through it too. And I think if we're open and if we're willing, God will move. But he needs an invitation. 